In Acts chapter 15, we find the apostles and the elders in the church of Jerusalem having to wrestle with the question of how the Old Covenant and the Law of Moses in particular bears upon believers, disciples in the New Covenant. That question is raised because there are Pharisees who come down from Judea and they see Gentiles coming to faith in the Messiah. And we knew this was going to happen from the early parts of Acts. Jesus said to the apostles, you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in the outskirts of Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see the gospel taking root in the hearts of people throughout the Mediterranean region to the uttermost parts of the earth as they knew it back then. And so Gentiles are constantly coming to faith in Christ. Remember the gospel was first for the Jews and most of the early Christians were Jews. But as it spread, the gospel began to call people from the Gentile nations. Well the Pharisees began to see this and they are not content for Gentiles to convert simply to Christianity. They believe that these Christians, these Gentile Christians, need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And they go so far as to say these people cannot be saved unless they are circumcised and follow the law of Moses. Well, the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem gather to discuss this. This is the first time it was brought up in the church. They had to wrestle with this. And as they pooled together their thoughts and searched scripture together and no doubt prayed together, Peter stood up as he always does, and spoke. And he said, let me remind you of my experience recently. I was up on the rooftop, and I was praying, and the Lord brought before me all of these unclean animals. And he said, take up and eat. And Peter said, Lord, I will never touch something that's unclean. Those animals are unclean. And three times the Lord did this, and each time he said, don't call what I have cleansed unclean. Then he gets a knock on the door and there's someone from the house of Cornelius there, a Gentile. Peter goes to see him and he gets it. He says, I understand now. These are Gentiles. They are no longer unclean. Just like the food that I saw in my vision is no longer unclean and I may eat, so God has opened the door of the Gentiles. So he went with Cornelius and his entire family and his household became believers. And Peter understood from all of this that God was bringing people to faith in Christ from the Gentiles. And they were no longer to be regarded as outcasts. So he stands up before this assembly of apostles and elders. And he reminds them of that experience. And then in verse 10 he says this. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. By bringing the law of Moses, the old covenant, and requiring Gentiles to follow the law of Moses and to be circumcised and joined to that covenant, Peter says, first of all, you're putting God to the test. You're offending God. Why? Because God has released the Jews from that covenant, which we saw last week. Jesus took upon himself the curse of that law, and it's obsolete and done. 
And so now Peter reminds them, you're going to put God to the test if you try to put these disciples under the law when God has released them from it. But notice the imagery, the metaphor that he uses. He says it is, or the law was, a yoke. Now for those of us who are city folk, that may not mean a whole lot. But a yoke was a wooden beam that would be put across the back of the necks of two oxen usually who were the, the, the working animals and still are in some cultures. And this beam would go behind their necks and there would be this rod in the shape of a U that would come up and secure their throats to that beam. So they were stuck together and stuck to that cross beam. Then there would be some kind of a load, a cart or something that had a long stem attached to that uh, yoke and the oxen would pull the cart. And sometimes it was filled maybe with a couple of people if, it was, uh, if they were plowing or something or maybe, you know, plow. But at times they would pack large heavy loads. Can you imagine piles and piles of, of rock, uh, 20 feet, 30 feet high or whatever. Maybe as the Egyptians built the pyramids, some of the speculation is maybe they moved some of those big stones being pulled by these oxen. They would bring, they would carry great weight. They would pull and tug these great weights. Well, if you can imagine a load building up, getting heavier and heavier, the stress that would put on the backs of the necks of the oxen and the tired weariness that would come upon them as these animals are trying to pull the load, the heavier that it is. Peter here refers to the law of Moses and he says it is a yoke that is so heavy it is absolutely unbearable. It can't continue to rest there because our necks cannot support it. We cannot move the load. It's too heavy. And he says, not only could we not bear it, but none of the fathers could either. Moses couldn't bear it. Joshua couldn't bear it. David couldn't bear the yoke of the Old Testament law. He says, it's too heavy. It's too weighty. And yet you would Bring this law upon these Gentiles, put uh, God to the test by doing so, and place upon their necks, upon their backs, this great weight that no one has ever been able to bear. It's too big, it's too heavy, it's too much. Don't do that. And their conclusion was that the Gentiles did not have to keep the law of Moses. And they sent a letter to them accordingly. Well, what is it that made the yoke so heavy and unbearable? in the Old Covenant. It wasn't just the commands. In the New Covenant, we have an entire New Testament part of the Scriptures with oodles of commands. It's not simply the fact that there are laws to be kept that makes the weight so unbearable. It is the comprehensive collection of the commands and the consequences for not obeying those commands. And so let's look together at Deuteronomy chapter 28 where Moses records for us the blessings and the curses that would come upon Israel for their obedience or disobedience of the law. And by the end, you will feel the weight of the yoke of the Old Covenant. Because it is heavy and it is clear. Deuteronomy is sort of Moses' farewell speech. 
Remember, he was the leader that brought the people out of slavery to Egypt, and he led them to the promised land. They were on the brink, ready to enter in. And they sent out spies to evaluate. And those spies came back, and the majority of them said, don't go in there, they're too big. They have stealth bombers. Their technology is too advanced. They will wipe us out. We can't do it. And of course, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, we can. We've got God. We win with God, no matter what technological advancement they've achieved. Well, the people would not go in. They were too afraid, and God, in his wrath, said that no one over the age of 20 would enter the promised land. And so he led them out into the wilderness for 40 years where all of that generation perished and they did not enter the promised land. Now the younger generation has grown up and once again they are at the brink of the promised land. And Moses writes the book of Deuteronomy and he, he speaks this to the people reminding this next generation of the terms of the covenant. And he explains to them the Ten Commandments. He reminds them of how God led them and made the covenant with them. And he expresses to them all the obligations put upon them. And here in chapter 28, he explains to them the blessings and the curses that will be theirs depending upon whether or not they obey. And we pick up in chapter 28, verse 1. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Did you see twice in that section I just read the covenant if? Two times. He wants to make sure they get this right. All these blessings will be yours. God will lift you up high if you obey the Lord your God. So let's look at these covenant blessings. I have grouped them together in like uh, categories to kind of help us gather them. So we're going to jump around just a little bit. But they are promised that they will experience blessing wherever they are, whatever they're doing. Look at verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. What Moses is doing here is he's using a rhetorical technique called merismus. It's when you take the whole and you divide it into parts to cover the extremes. The Bible does this all the time. The very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now he could have just said... In the beginning, God created the universe. Or in the beginning, God created everything. But he used this expression, the heavens and the earth, and that includes everything in between. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Again, he is affirming his cosmic authority over everything, and he's using this technique. We talk about today searching high and low for something. Or uh, my dad used to talk about lock, stock, and barrel. That's everything there is. The kit and the caboodle. It's the whole enchilada. But when you divide the whole into these parts, you're talking about everything in between. That's what Moses is saying here. You will be blessed in the city. You will be blessed in the country and anywhere in between. You can go to the remotest parts, the podunk towns of Israel, and you will be blessed. And you can live in urban Jerusalem in a high rise, and you will be blessed anywhere you go. 
you will experience God's favor. It says something similar in verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Whether you're coming or going, sitting around or running a marathon, whatever it is you're doing, wherever you go, you can't get outside of God's blessing because he's going to bless you everywhere, all the time, no matter what. In verse 8, a similar expression, the Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord God gives you. You see how universal this is? Whatever your hand finds to do, God will pour out his blessing upon it. Every achievement, every goal you set, God will prosper you. Then more specifically, in verse 4 we read, Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. He's saying everything that you produce will prosper. The, the fruit of the womb, literally, is what it says. There will be lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of healthy babies in Israel. Families will grow, and those children will grow up, and they will marry, and they'll have children, and on and on and go. You will have descendants more than there are stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, and they will be healthy and wonderful. This is part of the blessing of keeping the covenant. But your Crops will also experience God's blessing. You'll have great tomatoes and potatoes and the sweetest corn you can imagine. Even squash will taste good to people. And broccoli and asparagus. And then, of course, all the fruits, apples and bananas and oranges and grapes. On and on, everything that you plant will produce glorious, delectable fruit. It'll be delicious. And your animals will prosper as well. You have lots and lots and lots of cattle. The brown ones will give chocolate milk. <laughs> the others will give sweet white milk. And you'll have lamb chops and prime, prime rib. It'll be the best food you can imagine. You'll have a, an abundance of animals to do the work. Everything you set out to do, you will be blessed. <laughs> no, cats are not ever mentioned in the same sentence with blessing. I'm sorry. They are a result of the fall. Have we not made that clear yet? He says you will experience blessing in your military endeavors and you will reign supreme. Look at verse 7. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you, they will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. You're a small nation, but it doesn't matter how big they are, you will defeat them. I love that imagery. They will come down the main lane and they will come marching in war against you, but by the time you get done with them, they'll be so afraid and, and shattered, they will flee seven different directions. They'll be running through the woods, they'll be running through the rivers, any way to get away from you. Because I will have my hand upon you and you will dominate all of your enemies. He says they will have blessing of wealth and prosperity. Verse 11. 
The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, the offspring of your beast, and the produce of your ground in the land which the Lord swore to the, your fathers to give you. The Lord, the Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. This abundance of food and crops that you have, the other nations will be coming to you and all the commerce will be going one way. You will profit and grow wealthy because other nations will want to come borrow from you, but you won't need to borrow anything from them. Everything produced on planet earth will say made in Israel. And you will be a very prosperous nation. But notice in all of these blessings, the repeated emphasis that these promises are contingent upon their obedience. Verses 9 and 10. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. Remember we looked at that last week? When he had bled them out and initiated this relationship, he said, You will be my special possession. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy, unique, distinct nation. Only my beloved. That was his promise to them at the very beginning of this covenant relationship. But what's the next word? If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you if you obey. Look at verse 13. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail and you only will be above and you will not be underneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. All of this will be yours. Everything I've promised. And he's just giving the tip of the iceberg. What God had planned for Israel is indescribable in terms of temporal wealth and prosperity. But it was all dependent upon their keeping the laws of the Ten Commandments and the other laws as explained in Exodus and elsewhere. All of it dependent upon the if of their obedience. In verse 15, the tone changes dramatically. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Do you remember the analogy that I used last week? of my marriage proposal to Krista and how it was different than God's marriage proposal to Israel. Do you remember that? I talked about how when I asked Krista to marry me, I pledged to her that I would be faithful and I would bless her and I would provide for her and protect her and care for her. And it didn't have any conditions in it. 
I didn't say, I will do all these things. I'll put a roof over your head and I'll provide food and I'll buy you nice clothes and, and jewelry and I'll take you away on vacations if my food is always prepared precisely the way I like and served exactly when I want it to be served and if my clothes are always washed and pressed neatly and if there's never a speck of dust anywhere in the house and if you bear me a football team, I didn't put any of those stipulations and I was contrasting how I pledged my devotion to Krista without condition when God came to Israel he said I will provide for you if you keep all these commandments remember that we talked about the distinction well let me carry the analogy a little further to express what's about to happen not only did God say, I will take you as my wife and bless you with a, a place to live and a home and, uh, and food and clothes and all that, if you do all those things I just listed, but there's another side. If you don't serve the food precisely the way I like at exactly the time I request, and if I do find dust in my house, and if my clothes are wrinkled, and if you do not show me the respect that I deserve and want, and if you don't bear any children to me, much less a football team, if you fail at any point to be absolutely perfect, not only will I not provide for you fine clothes, I won't provide for you any clothes. And I will not feed you. I will not put a roof over your head. You'll have to sleep outside with the animals. More than that, if you continue to disobey me, if you continue to fail me, I will bring men here to beat you. I myself will beat you. And if you still do not change and, and perfectly meet all of my expectations, I will kill you. Beloved, that is exactly what God said to the nation of Israel. Those were the terms of this marriage. Look with me at the curses listed here beginning in verse 16. Again, I have grouped these to help us categorize them. Verse 16, Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Verse 19, Cursed shall you be when you come in, cursed shall you be when you go out. Using the same rhetorical device, comprehensive, universal statement, wherever you go, whatever you do. In the podunk, fringe towns of Israel, or in urban Jerusalem, I will curse you. And whether you're sitting around watching TV, whether you're out in the field working, wherever you go, coming or going, I will curse you if you disobey. We find the same curses upon the offspring of Israel. Look at verse 18. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Instead of having hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little Israelites running around, there will be few. And the few that are there will not be blessed. There will be miscarriages. There will be stillborns. 
They will be born with all kinds of diseases and problems. Many of them will be killed by your enemies. Look at verse 23. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on, on you until you are destroyed. Whereas if they obey, he's going to open up the storehouse of heaven and bring rain, which will bring fruitful crops. If you disobey, he says, the rain that comes down on your thirsty, barren, impoverished land will be dust, dirt, powder. There will be no moisture. There will be no growth of the crops. Verse 33. A people whom you do not know shall eat up the produce of your ground and all your labors. And you will never be anything but oppressed and crushed continually. Verse 38. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you will gather in little, for the locust will consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you will neither drink of the vine, of the wine, nor gather the grapes, for the worm will devour them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives will fall off. You shall have sons and daughters, but they will not be yours, for they will go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the produce of your ground. Everything that does come up will either rot on the ground or your enemies will come and they will enjoy what little fruit there is. Even your children, he says, they won't be yours. They will be carried off into captivity. Your animals will be diseased as well. He speaks of other diseases and plagues upon the people back in verse 21. The Lord will make the pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you from the land where you are entering to possess it. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat and with the sword and with blight and with mildew and they will pursue you until you perish. Verse 27, the Lord will smite you with the boils of Egypt and with the tumors and with the scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and with bewilderment of heart. And you will grope at noon as the blind man gropes in darkness and you will not prosper in your ways, but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with no one to save you. All the plagues of Egypt, everything I delivered you from and worse will come upon you. Even the itch... I saw a cartoon one time where the setting was a man in hell and he had just taken a sip of the coffee and it was cold and the caption said, man, he thought of everything. <laughs> but why does he talk about the itch? 
you're going to be plagued with so many things, annoying things, and we know how unbearable it can be when we itch. The prophet Isaiah talked about how when you're captured by these foreigners, the beds will be too small. Every aspect of life will be utterly miserable if you do not obey, he says. Verse 34. You shall be driven mad by the sight of what you see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and legs with sore boils from which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. Verse 58. If you are not careful to observe all the words of this law which are written in this book, to fear this honored and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you and your descendants, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic sicknesses. He will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid and they will cling to you. Also every sickness and every plague which not written in the book of this law the Lord will bring on you until you are destroyed. God says I have diseases to bring that you haven't even heard of yet. If you disobey. And they would be cursed by military and political domination. Verse 25, the Lord shall cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will go out one way against them, but you will flee seven ways before them. And you will be an example of terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses will be food to all birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth. And there will be no one to frighten them away. Verse 30. You shall betroth a wife, but another man will violate her. You shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will not eat of it. Your donkey shall be torn away from you and, you and will not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies and you will have none to save you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. While your eyes look on and yearn for them continually, but there will be nothing you can do. Verse 36, the Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. You shall become a horror, a proverb and a taunt among all the people where the Lord drives you. You see what's going to happen there? God is going to bring all these nations down to conquer them and deliver them, take them into exile into foreign nations and there they will be forced to bow down and serve idols thereby committing more sin against God and incurring His greater 
wrath. And that idolatry will be the direct result of their disobedience. Verse 43. The alien who is among you shall rise above you higher and higher, but you will go down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He shall be the head and you will be the tail. The reverse of what he promised in terms of blessing. They would borrow from everyone. They would have nothing to sell and make a profit to others. They would be on the bottom and in the back of everything. And 47 through 57. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and in the lack of all things. Notice this next phrase. And he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down. A nation whose language you shall not understand. A nation of fierce countenance, who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. Who also leaves you no grain, new wine, or oil, nor the increase of your herd or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. It shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you have trusted come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land which the Lord your God has given you. Then... You shall eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you. The man who is refined and very delicate among you shall be hostile toward his brother and toward his wife he cherishes and toward the rest of his children who remain. What kind of hostility is he going to have? It's unthinkable. So that he will not give even one of them any of the flesh of his children which he will eat. Since he has nothing else left during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in all your towns. The refined and delicate woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground for delicateness and refinement shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes and toward her son and daughter and toward her afterbirth which issues from between her legs and toward her children whom she bears for she will eat them secretly for lack of anything else during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you in your towns. Can you imagine? All a result of their disobedience. This will come upon you because you did not keep my commandments, says the Lord. 
Their total destruction is promised throughout. Verse 20, the Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. Verse 45, so all these curses shall come on you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. They shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever. And finally, 62 to the end. Then you shall be left few in number, whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, because you did not obey the Lord your God. Do you remember Sunday? We talked about God rejoicing over us. The delight that he takes when a sinner repents. The joy that wells up within him that must find expression because by his grace and the power of his spirit, a wayward child has come home. Look at what the Lord delights in here. It shall come about that as the Lord delighted over you to prosper you and multiply you, so the Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you. And you will be torn from the land where you are entering to possess it. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known. Among these nations you shall find no rest and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart failing of eyes and despair of soul so your life shall hang in doubt before you and you will be in dread night and day and shall have no assurance of your life in the morning you shall say, would that it were evening. And at the evening you shall say, would that it were morning. Because of the dread of your heart which you dread, and for the sight of your eyes which you will see, the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships. By the way about which I spoke to you, you shall never see it again. And there you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyers. And the first verse of chapter 29 should be the final verse of chapter 28. These are the words of of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel. 
Is there any wonder why Peter called this a yoke which neither we nor our fathers could bear? How can anyone stand up under this? All of the blessings contingent upon perfect obedience to all of the commands and the consequences for disobedience, it's overwhelming. We will see next week, Paul calls the old covenant a covenant of death and a covenant of condemnation. Because though life is offered and life abundantly is offered, who can keep it? Who could possibly obey and bring upon themselves the blessings and avoid the curses. Now put yourself into that setting. You're a Jew. You understand the terms of the covenant. You get it. And then Jesus appears and he says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart and you will find rest for your souls why Jesus why can you provide this rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light Jesus says, I have a new covenant. I have a new yoke to place upon you. But it's not like the old one. Under the old one, if you disobey, you bring upon yourself all of the curses of the old covenant. Under the new covenant, I have atoned for your sins in toto. All of them. I have redeemed you from the curse of the law. I bring you complete and utter forgiveness for every transgression. There are no curses in the new covenant. My yoke is easy. Trust me. Believe in me. Follow me as your Lord, and all of the blessings of heaven are yours. Not simply a blessed womb and blessed crops, far beyond anything you can begin to imagine. We're talking heavenly blessings that are eternal and unchanging and imperishable. 
What do we have to do, Lord, to, to receive those blessings? What are the laws that we have to obey? Jesus says, you don't. Just believe in me. Believe I am the Messiah. Believe that I will grant you forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I can handle that kind of yoke on my neck. That is easy. That is light. See, the weight of the burden of the old covenant and the thing that made it so unbearable and so wearying was that they did not have the ability to obey. And without that ability, the only, th only thing they had to look forward to was the certain, terrifying wrath of a holy God who had been offended. But the yoke of the new covenant is belief and you are forgiven and I have guaranteed you the same certainty of eternal life and joy forever and ever with me in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the covenant I want to be under. That's the burden I want to carry and the yoke I want on my neck.